Thank you for tuning in to listen to this sermon from the Ville Church. To find out more about us and our weekly scheduled services, please visit theville.church. I'm thinking about some of my, my Haitian brothers and sisters or whatever, how they must feel in light of some of the statements. And then I'm reading some of the work of Martin Luther King and kind of the grievous place he lived in as he was fighting this kind of this inequality, this, this racial inequality, all these different things. And so it's just been a weighty, it's been a weighty study, I guess is what I'm trying to tell you, right? So as I preach through what I'm preaching through today, I want y'all to just bear with me because it's not lined up how my normal sermon would be. Sometimes I feel kind of stopped up and I kind of just got to let God do what he does, all right? One of the things, first thing I want to do is I'm going to read from uh, Martin Luther King's letter from the Birmingham jail. Y'all familiar with that? All right. Come on, two people? All right. I'm going to read a little piece of it. This is a letter he wrote while he was sitting in jail. All right. And I'm just going to read a piece of it. But the reason I want to read a piece of it is because as we work into the rest of what we're going to be looking at today, I want you to kind of see the... uh, the, con- the, the contrast of where we are today in our country and where he found himself back in that day, right? So I'm just going to read this, and you can, you can roll with me on the screen. It says, we know through painful experience that freedom is never voluntarily given by the oppressor. It must be demanded by the oppressed. Frankly, I have never yet engaged in a direct action movement that was well-timed, according to the timetable of those who have not suffered unduly from the disease of segregation. Well, let me stop real quick. Let me give you, let me give you a little bit of, a, um, of context. He's sitting in jail. He's writing this letter right here. He's responding to, he starts the letter off by saying, I usually don't write to my naysayers or whatever and stuff um, because he was getting a bunch of backlash because they were protesting and people were like, oh, y'all are breaking the law or whatever, and why y'all starting so much trouble? And they're talking about, you know, the people involved in the civil rights movement, and, you know, they had their, they moved in civil disobedience, where they were like, we are not going to actually obey the law. The law is we can't actually go order a cup of coffee in this place, but we're going to go in. But they actually had classes where they learned to be peaceful, and they actually said, you know, anybody that was a part of their movement, they would vet them and say, you go to this class and you have to go, like, are you able to get spit on, punched in your face for the cause and not react? So they were engaging in civil disobedience, right? So these are new themes or whatever. There's a lot of this is biblically based. This is what God calls us to do when he tells us to lay down our life, right? So because I, I, I'm saying that statement because I think a lot of times we forget that he's Reverend Martin Luther King, Jr., so sometimes we've taken some of the stuff and make it moralistic and praised it, and we cut out the fact that it's pouring out of his, out the gospel, right? Can I make another statement real quick before I go back to reading? His real name is not Martin Luther, right? He's named after the great reformer Martin Luther, right? That most of us, like, are, are, what, where we, what we stand on when it comes to biblical freedom We stand on because of the reformer Martin Luther, right? And so Martin Luther King's father esteemed him so much that he he changed his name and changed his son's name. The travesty in it, which is kind of one of the things I want to work into as we talk about love, the travesty in it is that even a lot of my peers and, 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 and other pastors I know, they won't reference Martin Luther King at all. 
They won't be talking about them tomorrow. They won't talk about them today at all. But they'll talk about other people who are part of the reform network, right? Who, who, who probably had slaves also, though. Do you get where I'm coming from, the irony in that? Let, hold on to that irony, because that's what we're going to work into when we're talking about the love of God, right? And this isn't meant to shame anybody or one side or one race. Where I'm taking us is about how we have to be vigilant about the love of God as the Bible paints it to us, right? Because the enemy is playing games all day long. So let me finish reading this. And so it says, frankly, I have never yet engaged in, direct, in a direct action movement that was well-timed. According to the timetable of those who have not suffered unduly from the disease of segregation. For years now, I've heard the word wait. It rings in the ear of every Negro, Negro with a piercing familiarity. This wait has almost always meant never. It has been a tranquilizing thalidomide, relieving the emotional stress for a moment, only to give birth to an ill-formed infant of frustration. We must come to see with the distinguished jurists of yesterday that justice too long delayed is justice denied. We have, we have waited for more than 340 years for our God-given and constitutional rights. The nations of Asia and Africa are moving with jet-like speed toward the goal of political independence, and we still creep at a horse and buggy pace towards the gaining of a cup of coffee at a lunch counter. I guess it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait, but when you have seen vicious mobs lynch your mother, lynch your mother and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, brutalize, and even kill your black brothers and sisters with impunity, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an influent society, when you suddenly find, suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old daughter why she cannot go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on television, and see tears welling up in her little eyes when she is told that fun town is closed to colored children, and see the depressing clouds of inferiority begin to form in her little mental sky, and see her begin to distort her little personality by unconsciously developing a bitterness towards white people. I just want to put an asterisk right here. It's crazy that Martin Luther King is sitting unjustly in a jail cell, right? But the narrative he's still pushing is the fact that he's concerned about his daughter's heart being tainted with hatred. You see that? I just, I, it's important to say because he wasn't playing sides, right? He's playing truth, all right? So he says, when you have to concoct an answer for a five-year-old son asking in agonizing pathos, Daddy, why do white people treat colored people so mean? When you take a cross-country drive and find it necessary to sleep night after night in the uncomfortable corners of your automobile because no motel will accept you. When you are humiliated day in, day out by nagging signs reading white and colored. When your first name becomes nigger and your middle name becomes boy, however old you are, and your last name becomes John, and when your wife and mother are never given the respected title, Miss, and when you are harried by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are a Negro living constantly at tiptoe stance and never knowing what to expect next, and plagued with inner fears and outer resentments, when you are forever fighting a degenerating sense of nobodiness, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. 
There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into an abyss of injustice when they experience the bleakness of corroding despair. I hope, sirs, you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. Something else, isn't it? Hold on. Hold on, my friend. We'll talk later. So, you know, this week or whatever, we had a situation that happened with the H&M ad. Y'all saw that? Right? I'm going to push on some buttons a little bit to get us where we're going, all right? So, don't freak out. But I just want to take us somewhere. Y'all saw the situation with the H&M ad? Right? So, it's a picture of a, a, a little black kid, and he had a shirt that said, uh, the coolest monkey in the jungle, Right? H&M stores right now, this video, stores are being ruined, everything. People are going absolutely crazy over it because they felt it was a racist statement. And so this week I was talking to one of my friends, one of my white brothers, and he was like, Yo, he's like, Jay. He said, I know that comment is wrong. He said, but explain to me, like, explain to me what's really, really up with it, right? Because we brothers, we talk like that. We ask questions, all right? And he's able to ask me that because we love each other, right? We got the love of Christ between us. He's not a fool because he don't know the answer. So he asked me the question. So I told him, I said, I said, the problem, I said, not everybody thinks that that was done intentionally. I'm not going to speak for all black people. I personally don't think that that hoodie was done intentionally to be racist. I know people in here that call kids monkeys all the time. Like, they're like, hey, this little cute little monkey or whatever. And, like, they're, play, like, they're playing. They literally don't know. In my mind, I'm like, Lord, have mercy. If they call the one brother kid monkey up in here, it's going to go down. Like, that's what I'm always thinking in my head or whatever, you know. So if I don't know him real well, I just be like, yo, go tell your friend. <laughs> trying to look out for him. Warn him. You know what I'm saying? The wrong. I don't know everybody in the room. It's like, you know what I'm saying? So, but I don't, I don't, I don't believe that everybody... You know, I don't, you know, for me personally, I didn't believe that that was intended to be a racist statement. But I understand the history that African Americans have gone through and the abuse that pertains to that word, right? So I'm more so for my white brothers and sisters, I, I, I want them to understand this or whatever. Because I don't believe, our, like, we're not going to play church together. We're going to be the church together. So, like, when something burdens us, then it's going to burden us. We, we, our hearts are going to grow unified because we're just going to tell the truth. So if anybody's here and they're like, I can't believe you're talking, this is how we talk in this church. It just is it's what we do, right? And we love each other through it. We don't even have to get it. We don't even have to agree today. We're still going to praise the Lord together, and we're going to give it time and let it do what it does. And so, but this is the thing. What is happening for a lot of African Americans in this time right now is there's this thing, it actually has a term. It's called racial identity development, is what scientists call it. And, it, and it, it happens when something traumatic happens to you that you step out of where you feel like you've been indoctrinated by something and you start having to um, do, do a self-check. And it's usually based off a of race, right? So with this ad, for instance, the epiphany that's happening to African Americans is we shop in this store and there is nobody of our skin color close enough to the table to say that is a very, very bad move. So you start having these epiphanies where you're like, what are we doing? 
we casually have just been going in there to shop, but they're not standing with us at all. Like, we, we're moving on another plane. Same thing is happening right now in the church, right? It's happening in the church. So, when, so I don't get political, so nobody get crazy up here, because I don't, you, you've never heard me play a side, but I'm going to call sin, sin, right? right? When we have a president, and he calls countries what he called them, and he a- attaches other countries to it that we know are predominantly black, and then he says, hey, but why don't we get somebody from Norway over here? I don't have any beef against Norway, but for African Americans, we know exactly what this statement means, right? So what usually happens in the room is that while we're dealing with, Martin, with what Martin Luther King said about that contention and this strife in your heart, and you're trying to walk through life and deal with that, while you're at work getting mistreated and all type of stuff and looked over and, and, and dealing with our normal experience, and then you show up in the church and your brothers and sisters are like, don't care about the hurt, completely against you, and then don't, are going completely crazy on Facebook, and they're crushing you all the while. Do you get where I'm coming from? And then what's happening is this great division is happening where people are like, I thought we were together but I see we're actually not together. Do you get where I'm coming from? Does that make sense to everybody? Yeah. Like this is happening, like, you've, like, like it's been happening throughout our whole presidency, like, but it's happening like we've never, like more than we've ever imagined. John Piper just recently, y'all know who John Piper is? John Piper is one of my favorite preachers. I think I probably check my text and the way I'm looking at scripture with him more than I do anybody else. He's definitely the most... Uh, a, a pastor that I read the most. Y'all know who Lecrae is? So Lecrae just recently, um, he was in an interview and he said, um, he, 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 said, uh, he, said I'm, he said, I'm done with white evangelicism, right? He said, I'm stepping out of the mix and everything else, whatever. He's been getting kind of abused for several years, but what kind of happened was what I'm telling you about this whole racial identity development deal where for him, his, he's, he's, he's been, he's the Jay-Z of Christian hip-hop. And his following is predominantly white to the, to the core, right? When he started expressing his hurt with some of the killings that were happening in the country, people completely were, were he went from 10,000 people at a concert to like 300 people at a concert. And so he's just like, he's like, I'm done. And when he, was in the, when he was in the interview, he mentioned John Piper. And John Piper, you can look up the article. I was really amazed at this man's response. Um, and so, you know, it, it, was, it was sobering, but it was, it, it's also kind of heartbreaking because this is what's happening. And, 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 and I think we as a church need to know what's happening. But John Piper's response was this. He actually celebrated what Lecrae was doing, which I thought was crazy. Um, because I thought he would say, hey, you're, doing the, you're making the wrong mistake, and you, you know, you're making the wrong move, you're making a mistake and everything else. But he actually said, I get it. He goes, I get what you've actually been dealing with with white evangelicals. He says, he says I get it. He goes, but the, I celebrate you because you haven't left Jesus Christ. And he made this statement. He said, most people in your situation, they throw out the brown baby out with the white bathwater. That was, that was John Piper's statement. And I'm just like... I mean, I just thought that was amazing maturity for him to approach it like that. But I could tell that he's grieving it as well, which we should be grieving it, that there is this 
the vision that starts to feel like a necessity or seems like it's the only way to go forward. You get where I'm coming from? And I think the reason I want to I, I wanna make this big on the front end is because I want you to understand the urgency for us to hold to the love of Christ, right? Like, that's where I'm going with this. I'm just kind of spilling the beads of where I'm driving this conversation at, right? So... As I was studying a little bit, too, for this or whatever, I started, um, you know, the Martin Luther King at the end of his life is a little bit different than Martin Luther King at the beginning of his life. Um, if you don't know, Martin Luther King, he, when he was assassinated, he was killed at the age of 39. I think a lot of people think he was older than that when he passed, but he's actually 39 years old. But he said towards the end of his life in an interview with NBC, he said, uh, he said, yeah, my, my dream has turned to a nightmare. So it was a couple years after his, I have a, his famous I Have a Dream speech. And he said, my dream has turned to a nightmare. And, um, and so when you kind of look at what he's talking about, what he was referencing was he was just speaking about how for, you know, they fought really hard for segregation, right? Excuse me, for desegregation, right? And so they went in, they did sit-ins. People poured hot bowls of soup on their head, punched them, spit on them, and they fought just to be able to go inside of restaurants and, and patronize establishments. The thing that they didn't know was going to happen is that when they did that, and they finally won the opportunity to go spend their money in this business, that nobody would actually ever come to their side of town and go use their business. Do you get where I'm coming from? So... In his grief towards the end of his life, he was grieving the fact that all of the black economics in their community was on decline. The dream was unity. But there was no unity. There was a narrative that began that still run that still runs until this day. And it was this, it was it was that stay away from these communities, right? There was redlining where the mortgage industry was like, here's your map. Don't sell to these people. Don't let these people over here. And then you had minorities being pushed into these communities that had no resources, no grocery stores. Essentially, they became ghettos. Do you get where I'm coming from? That wasn't the dream. The dream is that we were to come together. That's what he was fighting for. Do you, you get where I'm coming from? So you had, you, you had redlining. Then you, then, you, then, then, then you keep on going. You have mass incarceration. You have all of these things. That wasn't the dream. And Martin Luther King, even though he passed away before some of this stuff went there, you can see in this last interview with MEC where he's, he sees what's going to happen. He sees what's going to happen. One of the things he's dealing with in Romans, the Bible tells us that the world is subject to futility. I say this verse to y'all all the time. I always say this phrase because it's one of those things where I think in my naiveness, I, I, as I'm walking with God, I'm always finding out how true it is, right? And I think Martin Luther King, towards the end of his life, he's in this move, he's, he's in this thing where it's like nothing remains true but the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like no, nothing, nothing works, right? So, like, like, he didn't fight for just black people, but let's put it in those terms. He fought for, for African Americans to get equality and everything else. Well, at that time, mostly, he wasn't in the forefront of the civil rights movement. Everybody else had stepped away from civil disobedience, and they went to black power mode. They went to let's go to war mode. 
He didn't think that was the way to roll. I get it. Somebody smack you, you smack them back. That's, that's flesh. That's our common nature. But Martin Luther King believed that love was the only way to move forward. He said it out of his own mouth. He said, he said you, you, can, you can start a riot, but the, the, the hatred that caused you to riot is still going to remain. It doesn't change it. And he said only love can take out hatred. Only love can actually make, your, make an enemy your brother. So he, 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 he was stuck on this line. And I think if you start looking up his, his quotes, you find that he starts protesting, he starts proclaiming love and the love of Christ even more, right? Let me read something to you, he says really quick. He says, the great military leaders of the past have gone. Their empires have crumbled and burned to ashes. But the empire of Jesus built solidly and majestically on the foundation of love, is still growing. After a while, nothing stands up no more. Even for, even for Martin Luther King. Nothing stands up. Nothing stands up. Right? It doesn't mean that, it doesn't mean that the work is in vain. But nothing's going to remain at the end of the day. But the love of God, it's, to be, it's going to be the only thing that is going to prove itself to be true. That, that's, and, and here's the thing. That's part of the hard walk of being a believer, right? It's part of the hard, it's part of the hard walk of being a believer. It's, it's part of the, the burden that any, any believer, you look in the Bible, you look at the prophets, you look at the disciples, they carried this, Right? When, when, Jesus, when Jesus looked at Peter and he said, man, you know, when you used to run around as a kid, man, you know, you run around and you did your thing. When you get old, somebody's going to lead you around. And the Bible says he was telling them, bro, you're going to die an ugly death. This is not going like this. This fake Christianity that we've gotten, that we've come with in this world where God is just going to bless you and you're going to be abundantly favored or whatever if you do what's right and you're earning favor, that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. It doesn't, the trajectory doesn't go like that. God calls his servants. He's like, lay down your life. It starts going like this. It starts going like this. I just want to be real with you. I don't want us to be a church that sleep. I think, I think Dr. Martin Luther King was chewing on a lot of this towards the end of his life even more. I do. So, when I was reading this stuff, and I think you can get what's kind of stirring in my heart, I just started thinking about our church, and um, just thinking about our church, and I'm like, God, what in the world is this church, a diverse church, right, racially and economically, what are we doing on the corner of Liberty and Confederate in Jacksonville, Florida? What in the world? Liberty and Confederate on the corner of Jacksonville, Florida, right? When the whole, when the church is just split in like the Red Sea, right? And God has actually called us together. I don't know what you call that, but I wake up and call it a miracle. I don't think it's because of my preaching. I don't think that y'all are so loving that y'all would just decide to stick together and roll together. I don't believe any of that. I believe the power of God and God's faithfulness is hovering over us and within us, and he's doing an amazing work. 
He's doing an amazing work, right? And so since I'm not driving this vehicle and I know the Spirit of God is leading us and driving us forward, it makes me just ask, God, what are you actually doing, right? So when we do stuff like the MLK parade, you know, some people are like, all right, it's cool. Like, you know, what is that? Like, we think through this stuff with intentionality. Who's been going out to the parade with us for the past couple of years? Let me ask you something. Have any of you ever seen one other church that's mixed black and white walking through the parade? It's not one. God is using our church as a monument to display his glory. Do you understand that? That's what he's doing. I'm hitting this right here because we can't fall asleep at the will when we're watching what's happening in the world. And so we can't just ghost ride the whip and just think like, you know what I'm saying? Like, okay, we just move like this. We don't just move like this. God is moving like this upon us. But we also need to approach what he's doing with intentionality, right? And we need to be aware and we need to protect our heart, right? So all of this stuff that, we, that we're talking about that's happening with the church and the division in politics, the reason it's happened is because there's been this fake, flattery, not the love of God thing happening in the church that people call love. It's not real. And, and, and Satan is just ripping it to pieces like wet toilet paper. Like he's showing, he's like, y'all can hit this button real quick and tear you to pieces anytime. Right? People think that, you know, I hear people, pastors tell me all the time, they're like, yeah, we, we have a diverse church or whatever, you know, and this and that and, and everything. And I'm like, no, you don't. Y'all vote the same and y'all are economically in the same place. That's easy to get along with. What about when we come from different sides of the track? When somebody's a Republican and somebody's a Democrat, right? And somebody lives in a mansion and somebody lives in a trailer park or somebody just don't got nowhere to live, right? How do we come, to, how do we come together at that point and actually still esteem each other, right? And look at each other the way God looks at us, right? How do we dignify each other in that, right? Who, who, who runs the church at that point? Who runs the church? Like, who has preference to decide what's excellence in the midst of that? Because this is where our classism is going to get exposed. Do you get where I'm coming from? It's a treacherous game. All I'm saying is that Satan, if you ain't wrapped tight, when he feels like he, he's going to pull everything to pieces, which is why we, don't, we can't trust ourselves. Last week I told you, I said, yo, do not, don't trust yourself, right? It's a way that seems right to man, but the end thereof is death. We've been operating in church, trusting ourselves for a long time. We've been giving ourselves this credit of being good that actually never really exists. And Satan, he just then came to cash his check. He's like, y'all ain't, y'all ain't yoked up. Y'all ain't for each other. It's not the truth. A table of repentant believers should have room for any and everybody to slide up and take a seat. The love of God simply demands it. The love of God. Um, let me read something to you. This is Galatians 5, 6. It says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. It's not to say that we earn our salvation. It's saying that the fruit that comes from our faith in Christ Jesus actually spews out the love of God, Right? So let me, let me dig into that really quick. That faith, right? If you start off at the beginning of the story, 
you always end up in the wrong place. So let me, let me just make it clear for you. So um, the, the, the one text I read to you all the time, I'm sorry, and I'm, I, don't, I don't have it with me, and I'm just going off the head right now. But it's where the young lady, is, is she's washing Jesus' feet, right? She's washing Jesus' feet. And then the Pharisee's standing by, and he's disgusted because he's like, man, if he knew who that woman was, he wouldn't be washing her feet, right? She wouldn't be touching her feet. And then Jesus, Jesus says, Jesus pretty much goes through the story with him. And, and, and basically what Jesus does, he exposes him that his love is very small. And he, and he says to him, he says, those who are forgiven much, they love much, right? And so the statement he was making to this guy, he's like, you're looking at this woman like she's nothing. He said, but she, she's walking in truth. She realizes her sins are many, so she's lavishing me back with love. He's like, homie, you think you're cute, so you don't even grasp what this love is about. So when it's talking about faith, producing love, and we talk about grabbing a hold of Jesus Christ and the work of the cross by faith, if you don't think you really need it that much, the way your love pours out comes out, comes out muddy. You get where I'm coming from? It, 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 I, just, I just need you to know it because I don't want to just do a conversation about love and not attach it to where you fall short as a sinner before Christ and desperately need him. Because when you take on your identity, let's do some identity work. When you come in with your identity as, I have nothing to bring to the Father. I have no way to earn righteousness. I have no way to be clean. I can't earn calling myself a part of his royal priesthood because my sins are wretched and disgusting. When you, when you start from there... And then you realize that by his grace and mercy, you've been lavished with his love. Boy, it oozes out of you a little bit different. Do you get where I'm coming from? That's why I always point is the work is not about how do we start being unified better. It's how do we start believing Jesus Christ, the gospel, better. How do we start deepening our faith by being more truthful about what we see in the mirror than praising God for what he's actually done on the cross? In a clearer way, right? Because the Bible says as we see him, we're transformed. Are y'all tracking with me? Yeah. I just want you to know how much this does. How, I don't want you to get caught on, let me go work on loving people more and work on being nicer this week. I want you to work on being more broker as a, as a believer. As, as you, as being more broker as a believer because you're a sinner. But being more crazy and grateful because you are saved by grace and your sins are washed away. Right? <laughs> You've heard me say it before, I call it the sanctification sandwich, right? You know what I mean? It's the sanctification sandwich. It's where God's grace and mercy is just smashing down on your grossness. He just comes down, right? You down there, whatever, you the end of the sandwich, whatever, end of the bread loaf or whatever, all crusty and all that. And then he comes through, whatever, with the fresh piece on the top, and he just mercy and grace. And it oozes out love. That's it. That's it. You know, I'm not saying it to just give you something cute. I want you to see it like that. That's what it is. Because the tendency sometimes is to hear about this and, and then leave out going to work at being good. I don't want you to go work at being good. I want you to work at knowing God is a good God through his son Jesus, right? 
So what is love? 1 Corinthians 13 gives it to us real and true. It says, if I speak in the tongues of men or, or of angels, but do not have love, I'm, a, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. It's basically saying I'm just noise. It's noise. He's telling you what I'm telling you. Don't trust on anything else. This division we see happening, all of that, they've been on gong mode for a long time, clanging cymbals for a long time. That's how they've been doing church, and they've been comfortable with it, right? They've been comfortable with it. And, and, and basically, they haven't repented when they needed to repent, right? So we're not going to do it well in our church because we're good. We're going to have to repent a lot. That's how we move forward, right? It says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I have nothing. So many ministries out here, whatever, where they'll prophesy you up under the table, yo, right? They, gonna, they dance game is going to be off the hook. They worship game, they're going to backflip off the wall, do a split, come back up and all of that stuff. And I'm not even mocking that. But, <coughs> excuse me. I'm not mocking that, <clears throat> but the weightier thing, the weightier thing of love, it's been held very light-handed. Now we're being exposed. It's the thing we should have been putting our concentration and focus on. I don't need you to dance to show how much you love the Lord. It's not even something we have to work on. If the Spirit of God is hitting you and you want to bust a move, then you bust a move all day long. Because you ain't going to stop me from dancing if that's what God is doing with me. But I don't have to work on that to show my righteousness at all. But I, the Bible tells me to be attentive to what love actually is. Lest we get caught up playing a game. Right? I have to look into the scripture and let it hurt when I find myself coming up short. Right? When my patience is short with my kids, as a believer, I have to deal with it. I'm not being religious. I'm being responsible for what God has called me to in light of the cross. Right? Let me keep reading. It says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do, do not have love, I, gave, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. This scripture right here, I'm going to just tell you, I'm going to give you a warning. When you love people like this word tells you to, you're going to feel like a sucker quite often. People are going to trample all over it. They're not going to think much of it. They're not even going to identify with it as love when you're even in the midst of it sometimes. Sometimes they'll actually call it hatred. All type of things will, will get ugly. But it's telling you 
it always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, it always perseveres, and love never fails. Because the truth of the matter is it will never make a sucker out of you. Do you get where I'm coming from? That's what I believe Martin Luther King was standing on. I believe that's what he was banking on. When he started making his declarations about love, I think he saw everything going this way and that way. I, I, I just recently was in Atlanta, and I got the chance to look at some of his letters, like his, his real documents. I got to look at his speech, and, and, and it blew my mind to see his stuff. But in the middle of all of it, I saw a, a, a letter from Malcolm X to him. And Malcolm X, like, you know, it's the real letter. They wouldn't let me touch it. I was like, oh, my God, that's crazy. But Malcolm X was basically like, yo, Martin, man, stop being a sucker, brother. Yeah, I got people over here ready to roll. We got guns cocked, locked, ready to rock. What you want to do? Like, that's how he's talking to him. And, 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 and all I could think of in, in this moment is that Martin Luther King is sitting there, and he's like, he knows what's happening. His flesh is probably like, yeah, it, it's, yeah these people don't blow up my house. They didn't blow up a house and kill these four little girls in it. Like, stuff is real. He's going to vote getting punched in his mouth, right? He walks the streets and gets spit on normally. Like, when I was just recently, I was talking to somebody, a civil rights legend. He said, Martin, he had 30 death threats a day, a day. His phone ring all day long. We're coming to kill you. We're coming to kill your family. Your wife's inside of the store, grocery store right now. You're going to die. said it was constant. Persevere. This is love. Never fails. All I'm saying is that today we have a decision. Like, what are you going to actually bank on? Because our church, we're not good enough to hold our church together. I'm not saying this because something's happening and we're about to fall apart. I'm saying it because, number one, you're like a dinosaur. I'm just going to keep it real. We're like a dinosaur right now. There's not even other pastors I can call for too much guidance and help or whatever because they're in a homogenous context. They're in an all-white church. They're in an all-black church. I'm like, brother, you can't even help me on how to deal with some issues. So, like, I just realize the significance of what God is doing through his power. And I just want to urge you as our church to, to, to protect it, but to like bank on love that looks like what we're reading in Scripture because it never, ever fails, right? It never, ever fails. This is the love of Christ. When, when I say this, this list you see right here, that list right here is Christ in the flesh. That's what you're looking at. You're looking at Jesus hanging on the cross because there's no defining love outside of the world didn't even know it until he showed up. We didn't know what love actually was. We don't know what it is outside of him. Everything else is something tainted and done for mankind's liking. Do you understand where I'm coming from? So our example, as the word of God says, our example for humility, our example for when the Bible says, esteem, like, love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the two commandments. Like, everything hinges on this. He's just telling you, look at my son. Look at my son in his submission. When he goes to the cross, Lord, your will be done, right? Look at him when he's getting spit on. He's getting spit on by the same people he's dying for. Look at him when he's on the cross and he has one thief on one side and one thief on the other. And he's dying for him. Only one took advantage, but you get where I'm coming from, homie. I'll see you in paradise today. That's, what he, that's, what, that's all this is right here is him. We're looking at him, right? 
when he, when he washes the disciples' feet and he says, I'm your, says, I'm your master and I'm washing your feet. And none of y'all are better than the master, so what do you think I want you to do? Right? Shalom. That's what he's pointing us to. Bank on it. Put everything on it. Even if you put it on it and you're getting spit on in the process, wait for it to pay out. It, the check ain't going to bounce. That's what he's telling you. It's like he, he, the, the cross and the blood of Jesus is secure. He's saying the check will not bounce. Believe that. All right? He said, uh, you, uh, you, you're going to go through some suffering on this side. He's, all sons and all daughters do. It's, it comes with it. He says, suffer as a good soldier of Christ. We're glad you took the time out today to listen to this sermon. And we pray that your life has been changed and that you were blessed by our Lord Jesus the Christ. To hear this sermon again or to listen to any of our other sermons, please remember to visit theville.church.